Hello, this is Pastor John Willingham of Doralstown Presbyterian Church. As our podcast audience continues to grow, I want to thank our loyal listeners and welcome those who may have just recently found us. We know that life can quickly become busy, so this podcast offers an on-the-go opportunity to hear Sunday's sermon, along with the scripture lesson read by that day's lay leader or preacher. We also encourage you to visit our website at dtownpc.org to learn more about our church and all of our diverse ministries. Thank you for tuning in. Our scripture reading this morning comes from John's Gospel, offering his account of the events of that first Easter of long ago. You can find it on page 114 in the New Testament portion of your Pew Bible. For those of you joining us online, the words will appear on the screen. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. Then Peter and the other disciple set out and went toward the tomb. The two were running together. But the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent down to look in and saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb. He saw the linen wrappings lying there and the cloth that had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen wrappings, but rolled up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple, who reached the tomb first, also went in, and he saw and believed. For as yet, they did not understand the scripture, that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples returned to their homes. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please join me in prayer. We give thanks, O God, for that event of long ago that brings us here again on this day. We pray that no matter how many times before we have heard that word, no how many times before we have celebrated that news, that led by your Spirit, we might hear what you would have us know on this day and lead us to respond with acts that bring you glory and honor. For it is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. In his book, Sources of Strength, former President Jimmy Carter tells of a moment that came on his first day in office. As he said, I had just been inaugurated. We had walked down Pennsylvania Avenue. I had sat in the reviewing stand and watched the parade with my family. And then finally, we were able to turn and walk toward the White House for the first time. Eager reporters and photographers lined the way, but as we were going, my press secretary said to me, don't anyone stop. Mama, of course, ignored that advice, Carter said. She stopped to to talk with some reporters, and the first one asked this question, Miss Lillian, aren't you proud of your son? And Mama said, which one? I've always loved her response because she certainly knew who the reporter was asking, but she was the mother of two sons. 
And she was not going to go on the record in that moment as favoring one over the other. One was the owner of a gas station. The other was now commander-in-chief, and yet she was proud of both of them and was not act even on that day in a way that might seem as if somehow she was playing favorites. That's not an easy thing to do. Anyone who has been a coach or teacher or manager or parent of more than one person knows that sometimes it's hard not to have a favorite, and if you do, not then to show it. On the other side of that coin, there are those who are always watching what we do very closely to see if we will show favoritism to one person over the other. It is not a new human dynamic. It has certainly been present from the beginning. And the passage of Scripture we just read suggests that it was also present in the very first followers of Jesus. In John's account of that morning, Mary Magdalene alone goes to the tomb and discovers that the stone that had been covered, the entrance, rolled there the previous day, has now been rolled aside. She looks in, and then she runs to tell Peter, and one that the Gospel writer describes as the disciple whom Jesus loved, that the body is gone. We don't know where they have taken our Lord and laid him, she said. John goes on to say that the two men immediately set out for the site of the tomb, and that they are running, and that the other disciple gets there first. And he stops and looks into the tomb. He notices the cloth that had been around the body that is now on the, the floor of the cave. But he waits for Peter to arrive. When Peter comes, he also goes inside and notices not only that larger cloth, but the one that had surrounded Jesus' head has now been rolled up and is placed on the side. And soon thereafter, we're told that those two disciples returned home. Now, all four of the Gospel writers offer their own account of what ha happened on Easter. Each of them had their unique take on it. And had we continued in reading in John's Gospel, we would then have heard of how Mary Magdalene stayed behind at the tomb, and she was the first one to see the resurrected Christ. And yet we stopped at this point in John's account, really where the story is not yet finished, and its depiction of two disciples who I would argue were fierce rivals of one another. To help us hear it in that way, it's also helpful for you to know of some other moments when John describes this disciple as the one whom Jesus loved. For it was he who was sitting by Jesus at the Last Supper and whispered to him, who is it that is going to betray you, Lord? It is he who has some kind of connection with the high priest and thus is able to get into the courtyard himself and also secure that Peter can while Jesus' trial is happening. It is he who is depicted as alone standing at the foot of the cross among the twelve and is he to whom Jesus entrusts the care of his mother. After our passage, it is that same beloved disciple who, when the, when the group is in the boat, recognizes the risen Christ on the shoreline. And it is that one about whom Peter says to Jesus, what about this one? Only in John's Gospel 
do we find this description of one as the one whom Jesus loved? Matthew, Mark, and Luke never use that description. When you add that to the fact that all of these accounts seem to depict this other disciple in a favored spot, it's no wonder that many scholars conclude that the beloved disciple was in fact the author of this gospel too. Hearing it in that way, let's look back on those first century events and listen to him again as if the author had put it in a first-person voice. So on Easter, Mary Magdalene goes to the tomb and finds that the stone is rolled back, and, and she runs to Peter and me because she thinks the body has been stolen. And the two of us head out, but I was much faster than Peter. I got there before he did, but, but out of respect for my older colleague, I waited for him to arrive. I did look in, and when Peter got there, he looked in, too, and then I, did I tell you that I was there first? I went into the tomb, too, and believed. Winston Churchill is often attributed with the saying that history is written by the victors. We might hear a parallel version of that with this narrative and said this gospel is written by Jesus' favorite. Now, lest you think I'm being too hard on John, I would say to you that his gospel among the four is my personal favorite. It's the one that has such poetry and scenes that are beloved that are not found in the other three. And I think it's also important to point out that at least according to this narrative, he is the first one that begins to piece together what has happened on Easter. It comes in that part of the narrative when first he looks in and then Peter goes in and they find the claws, the burial claws. One would have been wrapped all the way around the body, another around Jesus' head. And it's clear that this is not the result of, of grave diggers because they would not have unwrapped the body and left the claws behind like that. And so what John says us about this other disciple is that he saw and believed. But as of yet, they did not understand that he was to rise from the dead. It's confusing phrasing that he believed but didn't understand. And so some have concluded that all that really is being said here is that both this unnamed disciple and Peter believed that in fact the tomb was empty. A New Testament scholar hears much more. Gail O'Day says, it's important to remember that this passage is an empty tomb story, not the story of a resurrection appearance. What the beloved disciple believes then is the evidence of the empty tomb, not merely that the tomb is empty, but that its emptiness bears witness that Jesus has conquered death and judged the ruler of the world. The beloved disciple's faith is as complete as faith in the evidence of an empty tomb can be. To say that the beloved disciple believes in the resurrection is to rush the story, as the disciples have not yet experienced Jesus' resurrection. In other words, that competitive disciple, that one who wanted the world to know that he, in fact, was Jesus' favorite, 
Even he hasn't pieced it all together. He also had the opportunity in writing his gospel, something that wasn't finished for several decades, to take out all of these boastful accounts of what he had done, unlike all the others, but he chose not to do that. But on that day, on that first Easter, he seems to be the first one to understand that at the very least it means Jesus has defeated death. It wasn't the whole story, but it was a start. I suspect that's where you and I are on this day, too. We gather in this time of worship as disciples like those first ones, with both our strengths and our shortcomings clearly evident. As perhaps some of us have come here not out of breath because we ran, as did those two, But we arrive here simply worn out by all that has happened in the last two years. Some of us have come here not as as people who are convinced about the news of an empty tomb, but rather as skeptics who have gathered here because it was required before Easter lunch. Some of us are here Because we firmly believe, but we come not expecting really to to learn anything new about those events, but only wanting to experience the beautiful music that often accompanies our celebration. And I would suspect that some have come here, as did that unnamed disciple, trying to get a leg up on someone else, or maybe even to earn some points with the in-laws. We come for all kinds of reasons, as did the mixed intent of those very first ones who arrived at that empty tomb. And yet what we know is that no matter how it is that we have come together, those events yet have the ability to transform us. True story told of a fourth grade teacher who decided to introduce to her students a game called the Balloon Stump. The rules were quite simple. Each child would have an inflated balloon tied to her or his ankle. And once the signal was given, the goal was to burst every other balloon with yours still remaining inflated. As you can imagine, once the word was given, chaos erupted. As the students rushed around the room, actively trying to to stomp the balloon of the other, even those that were standing on the sidelines, hoping that they would be safe, they found their balloons were popped too. And when it was over, in a matter of a few seconds, the one whose balloon was was still intact was the one who was the most disliked boy in the room anyway. After that class left, another one came in. This one was a class exclusively of developmentally challenged children. And they were given the same instructions. They were told the same signal awaited the start. And there was a woman who had witnessed the earlier class who who described later, I had this sinking feeling in my stomach of what was about to unfold. And so it began. Children had understood clearly that they were supposed to pop balloons, but what hadn't really been clear to them was this was a competition. 
And so what happened was one boy who got frustrated because he couldn't pop the balloon attached to the leg of the girl next to him. The girl went, leaned down and held the balloon like a holder would hold a football for the kicker. And the boy popped the balloon and a big smile came across his face. He leaned down, held his own balloon. She popped his. All around the room it happened as the writer who shares the story called it the great popping co-op. And in a matter of minutes, all the balloons were popped and everyone cheered because everyone had won. On that first Easter and on this one, we gather with our own expectations about how life is to be. And even if some of those ideas and motivations for being here aren't the best way to celebrate an empty tomb, it is still a start. And what comes next, as always, is up to God. Let us pray. We give thanks, O oh God, for the glimpse that Scripture gives us of those first disciples, frail humans like us. And we give thanks for the discovery that you shared with them long ago and the news that eventually came to you and me. Help us as descendants in the faith to keep growing in recognizing your work in this world and what it is that you would yet have us transform. For it is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you again for joining us today. Once again, I invite you to check out dtownpc.org for information about our worship and programming for all ages.